0: Good morning. Good morning, Pastor. How are you this morning? Good seeing you, brother. Good, yeah, good seeing you. Yeah. Hey, Brother Jensen. Uh, good morning, Pastor. I see you're already pumping the caffeine this morning. Oh, yeah. Something's
1: got to keep me awake today. Oh, really? I mean, uh, wake me up, you know, late night, um, praying. Uh, I should probably just go grab my seat.
0: I think you should. Good morning. Uh, I don't think we've seen you here before.
2: Uh, no, I'm actually meeting someone here, a friend, but I haven't
0: seen Oh, so you're new!
2: New! Uh, New, Look, everyone, we have a new
0: person!
2: (laughs) Okay, you're in my bubble.
1: Hey there, I think I've got a seat right over there by me, saved just for you. Uh,
2: thanks, but I'm actually meeting someone.
1: Yeah, I know, Right? Right?
2: Uh, I can't stay here.
0: Going somewhere?
2: Uh, I was just going to see if my friend was here yet.
0: Oh, no need. What's your friend's name? Holly. Holly, Holly Summers. I know Holly. Why don't you have a seat, and I'll let her know where you're sitting when she gets here.
2: Oh, but I don't want to cause any trouble or... Oh,
0: no trouble whatsoever. Uh, Besides, the seats fill up quickly.
2: Okay.
1: Right here. It's all warmed up for you.
2: Uh, oh boy.
1: Good, Pastor Greg. Oh, good. oh no! Oh no! Honey, honey,
2: what is it, dear?
1: Don't look now, but
2: what? Oh no, she didn't.
1: Oh yes, she did.
2: Excuse me. Who me?
1: Yes, you.
2: You're in our spot. <gasps>
1: yes, that's our spot.
2: Excuse me? No, excuse
1: you. That's our spot.
2: We always sit there. Always. Every week. Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. Uh Uh-huh. Whatever, I'll just lie down.
1: Hey! (laughs) Changed your mind, huh? Just couldn't resist?
2: Uh, actually, no, I was just saving a spot for my friend.
1: Oh, my friend? Student. What's her name?
2: Hi, I'm Carrie, and this is my husband, Bradley. You must be new. New York! New. New. So uh, breaking my bubble! Breaking my bubble! Bubble broken. Abby? Oh thank God you're here! Uh, sorry guys, this one's mine. Where have you been? My my alarm didn't go off on time. I'm so sorry.
0: Good morning, everyone.
2: You really come here every week? Yeah, for a year and a half now. And you keep coming back? Uh Uh-huh.
0: Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen.
2: House? I thought it was a church. Oh, that's just an expression.
0: Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be in your house today. Lead us in a time of worship that will honor you. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Okay.
0: This morning, we are going to start the service with some testimonies.
2: Wait, there's going to be a test? (laughs) No. I'll start, Pastor.
0: Brother Jensen, go right ahead.
1: Okay. Well, this week I was uh, leading our community group, and the topic was how to find the fruit in our faith. And amongst all of us believers, there was a new seeker in our midst. Now I, being a celibate man, uh, confirmed with Abba Father that I should guard my heart so Grabbed the sword of the spirit, Great. and I stretched out my hand, and lo and behold, she was saved. <laughs> Hallelujah! Oh, <he's> <laughs> <laughs> uh, was
0: saved?
2: Saved from oh, what? And what? who uses swords anymore? What the heck? She found Jesus. Oh. Was he lost? <laughs> No, I'll explain later.
0: And all God's people said,
2: Amen! Amen.
0: Oh, and you're going to give a testimony.
2: Uh, no, no, I'm not. (laughs) Please carry on, your honor, sir, as you were.
0: Anyone else have a word from the Lord?
2: You mean you guys think you can actually hear God? Of course. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I get it. Wait, wait, so you see dead people too then?
0: Dead Yeah, people?
2: What? No, never mind. Anyone else? What is going on?
0: Are you people crazy?
2: Uh, you seem a little uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. I can't stay here. This is too much. Oh, okay. Well, you really should wait till the end of the sermon. No way. I'm sorry, but I need some fresh air. RUNNER! WE GOT IT RUNNER! Oh, Holly? A little help? Hey, do you want to
1: oh, oh, hey. you wanna
2: come to coffee? And that's the why ministry. I said you should wait till the end of <laughs> the sermon. Like Hang on, Abby. Come I'm back. coming. How about we do coffee
1: afterwards? Would you like to come to my home group? Hey. How about checkers? Do yeah. you want to play checkers?
3: If you've ever been someplace and you felt like an outsider, you might be able to relate to what you just saw. Sometimes we go into situations, and all too often we go into a church, and we have no clue what's going on. And we feel stupid, out of place, like an outsider. We're starting a new series today called Church Sucks When. And it's when you feel like an outsider, it certainly isn't fun. And the truth of the matter is, in our day and age and in our culture, there's a lot of people around us, many in our world who despise the church, and they despise us in some ways because they don't get all about who we are all about, what we're all about. I had a conversation with a young man on a flight to San Diego not too long ago, and he was cordial and kind. You know how when you sit down next to somebody on an airplane and you ask a few, you know, safe questions, and we kind of covered, you know, the bases, and he was nice to me. And I asked him what he did, and, you know, he told me, and then he said, well, what do you do? And I'm always in that place where I know if I tell them what I really do, it's going to change everything. Often I tell people I'm a relational consultant. (laughs) It's true, I am. But I say, well, I'm a pastor. And the instant I said the P word, uh, everything changed. You could tell that in his opinion, I ranked somewhere between the IRS tax man and a serial murderer. He was not happy to be sitting next to me. Well, he also told me how he felt about church and made a few comments. And, in fact, he was quite vocal about his bad experiences in church. I said, well, did you grow up in church? No. I said, well, I'm I'm curious. Tell me. I I really want to know. You know, I I do this for a living. So why did you have a bad experience? What happened? Well, minus the colorful language that he used, here's pretty much a quote from this guy. He said, I didn't know the dress code. I didn't know the routine. I didn't know the songs. And people treated me like I was a pariah, like I was an outsider. so I hated every minute of it. Couldn't wait to get out of there. Now, I wish that I could tell you that I've never heard that from anybody before. That that was the first time anybody ever told me that. But the truth is I've heard it too often, and it breaks my heart. Now, I know. I get it. Some people complain about the church because they don't like what we believe or what we stand for, and it's a smokescreen. I get that. I understand that. It's easier to reject the church uh, because of our position than it is to to accept what we're about. But the truth is, and this is a truth that I've had to deal with, I grew up in a church that would have made that tattooed, long-haired, body-pierced guy I sit next to in the airplane feel very unwelcome. The church I grew up in would not have made that guy feel like he was welcome in their midst. Tragically, too often the church has built barriers to those who are far from God rather than bridges. Too often, the church, historically and even today, is pretty famous for building barriers to keep people out rather than bridges to them to bring them in. In many churches, if you show up without a suit and tie, uh, you're going to be stared at. Now, I don't care what you wear around here. As long as you're in clothes, we're good. (laughs) But in some churches, and the church I grew up in, I mean, as a little boy, three-year-old young boy, I wore suit and tie as far back as I can remember. And obviously, I'm in rebellion right now. (laughs) But I don't care what you wear, but in some churches, that would be a big deal. Some churches, if you walk in without a King James big old Bible in your hand, then you're going to be suspect. In some churches, if you walk in smelling like cigarette smoke, people are probably not going to say hi. They're certainly not going to sit next to you. And a few will think, well, I hope he likes the smell of smoke because he better get used to it. He's going to be around it for eternity. That would be the attitude of a lot of people. I grew up in a church that wasn't, listen, they weren't full, it wasn't full of mean people, just ignorant and self-righteous people, and I was one of them. The problem with our church, the problem with me was we didn't know or understand the heart of Jesus. We saw the church as a club for saints rather than a, a hospital for sinners. And we thought it was all about just kind of getting our little thing together and doing our thing, and we didn't build the bridges to others outside of our little world. We built a lot of barriers and very few relational bridges to people. Now listen carefully to me. I love the church. I love the church, capital C, I love the bride of Christ. And I am not gonna stand up here for the next four or five weeks in this series and lambast the church, I'm not gonna throw mud at the church, I'm not gonna do that. If you speak evil of my wife, you're gonna have to deal with me because she's my bride and I love her. And if you speak evil of the church, You know, you're going to have to deal with me. Despite all her warts and wrinkles, and yes, the church is far from perfect. Despite that, she is the bride of Christ, and I love her. But in this series, we are going to be honest, and we're going to take a real look at some things that we need to see and understand if we are to be effective representatives of Jesus to a watching world. And you need to know Jesus was inclusive. He was inclusive and accepting of people who were far from God. He didn't treat people like they were outsiders. He didn't give preferential treatment to those who were considered the insiders. In fact, he did just the opposite. He was loving and accepting of people who in that day and age, the day that he lived and walked on this planet, who were outcast and, and not welcomed by the religious few. So my goal today is twofold. First, I want us as Christ followers to be reminded of our primary mission and why we exist on planet Earth. And the second thing I want to do is encourage those of you who might be here or watching online who are seekers, the not yet convinced. I want, to, I want you to hear me say today from my lips to your heart that this is a safe place for you to discover God's grace. And we're committed to that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it. You can trust me to read it. But we'll be in Luke 19. And I'm going to look at one of my favorite stories, story that I grew up with and heard many times as a, as a young boy. Uh, but I love this story because it illustrates the heart of God. It's about a guy named Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Being the chief tax collector, that meant that Zacchaeus was the boss. He was the commissioner of taxes and had several people, if not you know a dozen or so, that reported to him. So he was the, the guy in charge of collecting taxes. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. He'd heard about Jesus. Maybe he'd heard some good things. Maybe he was just curious. But he he heard that Jesus was on his way to Jericho. The buzz of the crowd said, man, I I want to see this guy. But it says because he was short, he couldn't. The crowd was pressing in. He couldn't get there. So what did he do? Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Uh, In Jericho, sycamore fig, fig trees were fairly common. And they are thick trunk, uh, low-hanging branches. Would have been uh, fairly easy for a guy like him to climb up into this tree. And he said, I'll get there. I'll get a good seat. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zac came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner Jesus goes, he hangs out with this guy, and somewhere in the course of this interaction, the transformation takes place in Zacchaeus. And verse eight says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, "Today, salvation has come to this house because this man, because you too are son of Abraham. And verse 10, one of my all-time favorite quotes of Jesus Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are far from God. I've heard this story in Sunday school since I was a wee little boy. I learned the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Okay. Anyway, I I learned the song. I I saw the flannel graphs. If you don't know what flannel graphs are, God bless you. Uh, Not high tech, I'll just leave it at that. And for many of you, it's a familiar story. Maybe some of you have never heard it before. But what I love about this story is that it shows us the heart of Jesus for people who were far from God. I love this picture of Jesus stopping to reach out to one of the worst and most despised sinners in all of Jericho. You couldn't pick a guy in that town that would have been hated more than Zacchaeus. And that's exactly the guy that Jesus went to. You see, Jewish tax collectors in that culture were servants of the Roman government, which made them traitors to their countrymen, to the fellow Jews. And so he would have been despised as a traitor because Zacchaeus was wealthy. He would have been hated by the poor, especially since he got wealthy off the backs of the poor. But Jesus didn't see a guy that was despised and messed up. What he saw was a man desperate for God, desperate for the love of God. And so there's some lessons we can learn here about Jesus' encounter with an outsider. And here's the first one. Number one, we need to look for seekers and embrace them Embrace them for for who they are, not what they do. We need to look for seekers and embrace them. Embrace them. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, to Zacchaeus, come down immediately, I must stay at your house today. Pastor Joe Whitworth, my friend and pastor, spoke last week about Jesus stopped. It was a great message, a great reminder. And this is another one of those examples of that very thing. Jesus saw this guy and he stopped. Hundreds and hundreds of people are pressing in, maybe thousands, pressing in, trying to get a look at the rabbi Jesus, trying to get close to him. Zacchaeus wants to. He can't because he's height challenged. His only option is to climb up into a tree. Now, you need to know, let's just put some things into into place here. Because Zacchaeus was a wealthy man uh, and because of his position... He probably was at least middle-aged. He, 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 as the chief tax collector, he would have not been a rookie. He, he, he was probably at least middle-aged, maybe even older than that. And because he's wealthy, and wealthy people tend to eat well, he's probably a little overweight. He's a full-figured fellow. And climbing up into a tree, a tree uh, dressed in the robes of the day, for this roly-poly, of shape guy would have been at least challenging and maybe a little embarrassing. And I imagine Zach sitting there on this branch. Can you see him? He's sweating. He's breathing hard. Uh, he's trying to get a look at Jesus, pushing the branches away, the trees away. And then all of a sudden he realizes, Jesus is coming right toward me. And he's, the thought goes, I wonder, if, did he just look at me? And, and now his heart's beginning to race a little bit as maybe even I'm imagining. You know, I, I, Jesus had to look at Zacchaeus and say, he probably smile at him. And Zach's freaking out, wait a minute, he's coming right at me. And Jesus gets right underneath the guy and says, hey, Zach, come on down. I'm going to go to your house today. We're going to hang out together. But what happened next surprised everybody. Zacchaeus was engaged by Jesus. He came down and Jesus said, let's go. And Jesus went to this despised sinner's home. Sharing a meal in that culture, which they would have done, with a treacherous tax collector would have been a huge taboo. No respectable Jew would hang out with a sinner like Zacchaeus, let alone a respectable rabbi. And that's why he says, the people muttered, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Unstinking, believable, no way. I mean, the way they felt about Jesus going to Zach's house would be the way you would feel if you saw me walking into Hooters for lunch. Now I don't go to Hooters for lunch, to so relax. And some of you go, what's Hooters? God bless you. But some of you would be disgusted, and that I, I want you to dial that emotion up. That's the way these people felt about Jesus going to Zacchaeus' home. No way. This is just wrong. But Jesus consistently loved, embraced, and accepted people who were priceless because they were made in the image of God, not because of what they did or didn't do, but because of who they are. In fact, Jesus frequently broke the religious rules of the day and looked for opportunities to reach out to those who were far from God. It wasn't just an accident that that happened. He looked for those opportunities to engage people, to accept them, to love those who were far from God. And so here's the lesson for us, and I hope it's obvious, but let me make it clear. Are you looking for ways to engage and include outsiders in your world? Are you looking for ways to love and accept those around you who might be very far from God? In fact, let me ask you this. Who's the biggest, baddest, most brokenest person you know? Are you running from that guy or that gal? Or are you running towards them? Are you trying to avoid them at all costs? Well, that neighbor's really messed up. <laughs> Kids, don't go over there. Are you, are you doing everything you can to avoid that guy at work or at school or wherever you, you live? Or are you looking for opportunities to engage and encounter and accept and embrace and love that person just like Jesus would? Sometimes we Christians fail to see the big picture. We get myopic and narrow and focus on all that is wrong with people. As a teenager, uh, I was part of a church for a while that was seeing people come to know Jesus. And it was awesome. It was exciting. In fact, some of them were my friends. It's like, this is cool. This is great. I'm loving this. And, and about half the church was excited. The other half, the self-righteous, religious, pious, old-timers, they were really put off by it. They were just, they were, you they know, were, they were frustrated. Because as these people were coming to know Jesus, they came with all their baggage and their stuff and, you know, and, and their bad habits and, and they, you know, things that they just, they didn't, hadn't figured out yet. And so these old timers who were pretty much the money bags and the controllers of the church, they decided, I kid you not, they put together a list of about 10 things that you could not do if you were going to attend that church. And they actually wanted to post the list on the wall and hand it out to visitors as they came. And the list included things. I'm not making this up. The list included things like no dancing, no drinking, no smoking, no wearing makeup, no going to movies. "Mar, PG, doesn't matter. You couldn't go to a movie theater and be a Christian in that church. And, and they had all these things that they were demanding people to, to do if they were you know, to attend that church. Now listen carefully. Again, I understand. I, I, I am not saying that it doesn't matter what we do. What we do does matter, especially if it's hurtful or destructive. I get that. And if you've seen me dance, it is hurtful and destructive. It's... <laughs> so what we do does matter to God. But we're called, as followers of Jesus, to be fishers of men, not cleaners of men. We're to be like Jesus and bring what's called good news to people who are far from him. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus said that in John 16. But somehow we've got it in our heads, and certainly the church I grew up in did, that it's our job to clean everybody up, to make sure they got their all, you know, everything gathered and ready and prepped and the way it should be. And it was our job to basically be the Holy Spirit in people's lives. And that's not our job. Now, does that mean we never get to challenge and encourage people that we have a relationship with? No, of course we do. Key component there is we have relationship. We've earned a rite of passage to speak into someone's life. We're not the self-righteous, pious moral, morality cops slapping, you know, things up on the wall that everybody has to do and rejecting them if we don't. But our primary role is to, to be fishers of minimum, to, to bring them into relationship with God. So if you're a seeker here today, you're looking into this God, church, Jesus thing, I, I'm going to ask you, please forgive the church. Forgive me. Forgive us for our spiritual arrogance and our tendency to judge. Forgive us. And I admit that, you know, to you that the church all too often has been the way that's far from the way Jesus is. And if you're a Christ follower, I want to remind you that it's always better to live with gratitude than an attitude. It's always better to live with gratitude than an attitude. Instead of an attitude that's holier than thou, let's have a, oh, I, I can't believe, holy cow, I can't believe how good God's been to me. Gratitude. And let that breathe. The, the thing that is predominant about our interactions with people. And let's focus on the good news of the gospel. And so I want you to understand this. The church exists to know God and to make him known. It's an old YWAM slogan. The church exists to know God and to make him known. We have no higher purpose than to love God and to love people in our world, loving God and loving people. That's our model around here. But it's a lot more than a model. It's our mission. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And he said in verse 10, I came to seek and to save the lost. I came to seek and to save the lost. We don't embrace or condone sin. We never want to abuse grace. But if if we are to be like Jesus, we must love and embrace people regardless of what they look like, smell like, dress like, or talk like. Regardless of their politics, their color, their sexual orientation, or the number of tattoos or body piercings they may have, We need to embrace and love them just like Jesus does, and regardless of whether they're an outsider or an insider, we are to love them because Jesus loves them, and to build bridges to them rather than erect barriers that keeps them out. We love because Jesus loved. Here's the second lesson we must learn from Jesus' encounter with this outside number two: we must be aware of the curse of knowledge. Be aware of the curse of knowledge. Now, knowledge is not a curse. I like knowledge. Learning, study, growing, that's all good. But what is the curse of knowledge? Well, let me give you a definition. The curse of knowledge is forgetting what it was like before you knew what you know now. The curse of knowledge is is forgetting what it was like before you knew what you know now. In other words, once we've figured out something or we've come to know something that we once didn't understand, we tend to forget how it felt not to know. And that's the curse of knowledge. Let me illustrate it. Now, how many of you have been driving for a long time? You don't even think about driving. You get in the car, you turn it on, you just go. You don't stress out, you don't worry. Okay, what do I do? Oh, I can put it into reverse. Is that the R? Yes, put it into reverse. And you don't, you don't go through all of this stuff because you've been doing it forever. It's, you're, you're just used to it. In fact, we will multitask when we're driving even though we shouldn't. Driving down Sprague uh, on the off, to the office the other day, and a lady was actually putting her makeup on uh, while she was driving. Not a good idea. But why would she do that? Because she felt comfortable driving. I've seen people text and talk on their phones, even though it's illegal. Why? Because, well, you know, I can drive and talk, and I can do all these things. We multitask because we're comfortable doing so. But have you ever been behind a student driver? You know because they got the big sign in the back, student driver. And you come up, up behind them, and they're doing two miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour zone. And have you, let's just be honest, Curse them. <laughs> you yell at people in the car even though they can't hear you. Anybody do that? What's wrong with that idiot? Why does that teacher tell you? they got to do the speed limit for heaven's sake. And we're on the tail of this poor high school student trying to learn how to drive. Why do we get frustrated? Because we have forgotten what it was like to learn how to drive. When we did the white knuckle scary, I can't believe I'm behind a vehicle thing. And, and we've forgotten what it's like. And so we lose our grace for those who are learning. Maybe this, maybe you've had to teach somebody, your boss said, hey, I want you to train so-and-so how to do such-and-such. And, All right, whatever. And you know, you spend days, weeks trying to train this guy or this gal how to do this thing, and about halfway through the process, you think, man, this guy's stupider than Jupiter. What is, what is wrong with this? Why did you hire this guy, boss? He's never going to get it. She's never going to figure this out. Why do we get frustrated? Because we forgot what it's like to be new. Everything new takes a while to figure out, and most jobs take 30, 60, 90 days at least. But what do we do? We forget, and so we get impatient with those. Let me bring it home to the church. Have you ever found yourself sitting in church and wondering why we don't worship longer and do more songs? They oh, we only did three songs this morning, and I just want to worship Jesus and be with the Lord and his presence, and I just want to, and you know, you're thinking, why don't we do like 45, minutes? I could do that for an hour. Now listen to me, I love worship. I, 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 I love to engage in worship of God, but maybe you thought, why don't, why, do we, why don't we sing longer? Here's another one, maybe, you've sat here before, and you thought, you know, I, why don't we do communion here every week? The church I came from, they always pass communion. We always did communion every week. And, and I don't get why we don't get to communion. And, you, and you've wondered about those things. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it possible that you've forgotten what it was like to be new to a church and not yet a believer? Is it possible that you've forgotten what it was when you first came to this place? We first started East Point um, for several years. We would always do communion three or four times um, every week. You know, year um, on a Sunday, and we'd ex- share as part of our service at the end. And uh, I would often hear, I wish we do that more often. Why don't we do that more often? And, and I said, Well, yeah, I know, but you know, it's, it seems like this is a good, it's okay. And then uh, about, I don't know, three, four years ago, I actually had a conversation with somebody in our church who was not yet a believer. They were seeker, and they and and I and it dawned on me. I thought, yeah, I wonder how they feel about this. And I asked the person. I said, "How do you feel when we do communion? How we, when we pass communion in church?" And I got the response. And then I thought, well, I'm going to ask a few more people. So I asked a couple other people I knew that were Christ followers now, but they got saved here and they'd given their life to Christ as part of our church. And and so I asked, no, than four or five people. Tell me how you felt when we used to do communion, or we would do that on Sunday mornings. How did you feel about that? And consistently, every person. Said basically the same thing. I felt awkward. Uh, I didn't understand. Is this like a big morning snack? What do I do with this? Uh, some said that they, they, they felt like everybody was staring at them, that they, didn't, they felt like they were out of place. And my friend, who uh, I really gave her a rite of passage, I said, how did you feel? She said, and here was the clincher. I felt like an outsider. I felt like an outsider. And so we made a decision. You know, we're going to provide it. But we're not going to pass it because we don't want people to feel that way. Now, let me be clear. I don't want any emails. Let me be clear. I love sharing in the Lord's table. And by the way, at every gathering, our New Year's Eve gathering, three or four times a year when we gather, and we're going to have more on Saturday nights here, and every gathering we've ever had, we've always partaken. It's a believer's experience, and and 99.9%, if not all of them, are believers. And when we gather for those times of the gatherings or, or believer services, we always have communion together. I love having communion with my small group. I think it's powerful to do that in a relational environment where you can share and, 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 and talk about you know, what God's doing in your life and actually in, in, in engage in, in a meaningful communion rather than just kind of passing the thing and down on the cup and the cracker. I, I think it's awesome to do it. We do provide it every Sunday on both sides of the room for you to experience either individually or with your family and friends because I do value the Lord's table. I do value communion. But I also love those who come through our doors and they are far from God and they don't get it. And I want to build a bridge to them, not barriers. And here's another little insight. And if this pushes your button, forgive me, but it's, let it be, let it be so. Guys, if, if, if we think it's all about us, then we've missed the boat because it's not about me and it's not about you. It is about them. It is about them. It's about selfless sacrifice, putting the needs of others before our own. You will not find in the scriptures anywhere where it encourages you to make it all about you. But you will find over and over again a call to selfless sacrifice. A call to put the needs of others before your own. A call to honor those more than you honor yourself. Jesus said in Matthew 20, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many. many. The heart of Jesus was I'm gonna... I'm going to put you, I'm going to lay my life down for you. It's not about us. Jesus went to a cross because it's about them, about the lost. I had a guy stop me in the lobby a couple months ago, right out here. And uh, he said, Cur, I, I got a question. Sure. He said, I, you know, I really wish we did communion. Why don't we do communion every Sunday? And I, I'm thinking he's asking an honest question. That's great. And I said, hey, man, I'm really glad you asked that. Let me explain it to you. So I unpacked for him why we don't do communion every Sunday, uh, you know, collectively, corporately as a church. And got done and uh, explaining it, and he looked at me, and it got in my face, and literally, I'm not exact. He he said, why does it always have to be about the loss in this place? What about me? And turned around, stomped away, never to be seen from again. And guys, it broke my heart, because that is just not the attitude in the heart of Jesus Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 9, 22. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Paul said, it's not about me. I will do everything. I find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. Listen, if you're here today and you're new to this God church thing, I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know it's okay that you don't understand everything. It's okay that you have questions. It's okay. And I promise you we're going to do our best to make this a safe place for you to discover the goodness and the grace of God. Now, we may do things at times that will make you a little uncomfortable. We are going to preach from the Bible. And we are going to worship God. And so there will be times when you just go, I'm not sure I get that. But I promise you that we will do so thinking about you and trying to remember as best as we can what it was like when we were new and we didn't know. And we will do our best not to single you out or treat you like an outsider. James, our worship pastor, he and I had a talk this last week about one of the songs we did uh, last Sunday. I think it's called uh, "At Your Name. It's a great song. I love the song. Great music, great words. Love the song. But I said, James, I said, the chorus in that song sings Yahweh, Yahweh. And and I, and I, I said, James, I said, one of two things has to happen. Either we explain to people what Yahweh is or who he is or what that means, because most people go, Yahweh? They don't get it. Or we change the word instead of, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh, say, so, yay God, yay God, or whatever. We change the course. And he got it. It's good. And why would we care about that? Because I don't want anybody to sit here and go, I'm stupid. I don't get it. What did they just say? What's that all about? We want to Build bridges to people. And so, if you're an old timer and you've been around here for a long time or on Jesus for a long time, I'm going to ask you to help me make this a place where we build bridges, not barriers, to the many in our world and this valley who are far from God. You know, Washington State goes back and forth between the 49th and 50th most unchurched state in the Union. 80, 85% of your neighbors, of the people in this community, don't go to church anywhere. That doesn't mean they're all unsaved or far from God, but they're de-churched, they're unchurched, and many of them are lost. They don't know the good news. They don't don't know the love of God. And God has put us here in the midst of a place that's far from him so that we can build bridges to those who need to know him. And here's the deal. And I, and I, I say this tenderly, but I want you to understand my heart. We, as believers... We're going to have eternity to worship God together. We're going to have forever to sing Yahweh, Yahweh a billion times. We're going to have forever to sit and share the Lord's table forever in his presence as believers for eternity. But what drives me, what wakes me up in the morning, what drives me to my knees is the the millions, hundreds of millions in this world, billions who don't know Jesus yet, And the tens of thousands in our community who are not going to be there with us unless we take them with us and build bridges to them. And I want to take as many with us as we possibly can. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. It was his mission. Guess who we follow? Jesus. And so guess what we get to do? Be like him. He came for broken, messed up, sinful people. He came for those who were far from God to build a bridge to them so that they could come to know the goodness and the grace and love of God. And he himself was driven by selfless, sacrificial love, and that's what we must do. One last story, and I'm done. Some time ago, a woman came up to me after service, right down here. And with tears in her eyes, in fact, she could barely speak, she said, Pastor Kurt, thank you for making East Point, the first church where my husband would come back to, the first church he would ever come to a second time. And a place, in fact, where he fell in love with Jesus. Just thank you. And we both were a slobbering, blubbering mess as we held each other and cried. And guys, her husband is going to spend eternity with us because we made this place a place where we refuse to, to suffer from the curse of knowledge, where we refuse to build barriers. In fact, we want to build bridges to many. Bow yes, let me pray for you. God, I I ask you to give us more of your heart to understand more of the heart of Jesus who came and literally went to a cross to die because of love. Lord, some of us need to die to our pet peeves. We need to die to our smallness. We need to die to our demands. We need to die to the things, Lord, that we insist that we need and must have. We need to stop making it about us, Lord. And we need to start loving the way you loved it and to make it all about them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make, continue to make this church, this place called East Point, a place that builds bridges to many and accepts and embraces people, all sorts of people, all kinds of people, from all kinds of backgrounds and with all kinds of brokenness and sin. That you would make us the kind of place, Lord, that embraces them and loves them just like you do, Jesus. Let's you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not started your, your walk as a Christ follower yet. And you just realize, man, I need that. I, and if that's what it means to be a Christ follower, I'm in. And you know you, you are ready to be, begin your life as a, as a disciple of Jesus. And there's things you don't understand, things you don't get, and that's okay. But you know in your gut it's time for you to say yes to God to surrender your life and to embrace the gift of his grace and mercy in your life, you know you need a Savior. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And I'm going to ask you, it it begins in your heart. You make this choice, this decision to believe, to embrace what God has given. And just make this prayer your prayer if that's what you want to do today. Father, forgive me, for I have need of a Savior. I've sinned. I've fallen short of everything that I know you want me to be. And I I need your grace and your forgiveness in my life. And today I choose to surrender my all to you. My life, past, present, future, I surrender. I yield, I give it up. And I choose this moment to embrace that grace, that goodness of God, the forgiveness of God. And I ask you, help me now to follow you, Jesus. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you all the days of my life. Now that's your heart. That's what you want. Just you know, and say, "Yep, God, that's me. That's me. That's what I want. I know I need God, and I want Him." The Bible says, "The moment you do, you become His child. You enter from darkness into light. You become a disciple of Jesus." Lord, for those making that decision now or listening online, I pray God that You would just show them what You have done and what You're going to do in their hearts and in their lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish one last song. Uh, I love this song. It's a new one that James brought. It's called Search My Heart. And uh, it's a good song. I'm going to ask you to search your heart right now. Uh, where are you at? How do you feel about this? And are you willing to embrace more of the heart of Jesus? So let's sing the songs we give. The usher's is going to come. Now you can drop the communication card in the basket if you'd like to. But let's give as we worship. And I'll come back and wrap it up. I invited someone who uh, works in a local business here not too far from the building to come to Christmas Eve services. And she came. And I found in the lobby sitting at one of the tables, and I said, hey, it's great to see you here. I'm glad you're here today, and thanks for coming. I said, how are you doing? And I'm expecting the, Oh, I'm fine, good. And she looked at me. She says, I'm terrified. And I said, oh. She'd never been to church in her entire life. Never. And she wasn't even sure if she was going to come through those doors into do the service. She was in the lobby trying to get up the nerve. And I looked at her, and I said, it's okay. I promise we won't bite you. Guys, I know that many of you love Jesus. Many of you are passionate about worship, communion, a thousand other things. And I applaud that. But why are we here? To love God and to love people. People just like that young woman. People who are far from God. We need to build bridges to them. If you're here today and you began your life as a Christ follower, tell somebody. We want to, you know, part of that that faith is confession. Letting that be known. And tell a friend or the person you came with, come tell me. There's a packet by the tables uh, on the doors. It says for new Christians, new believers. it got a Bible. some material to get you started your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. But here's my prayer. Communion to both sides of the room. Prayer team will be down front. But my prayer is that you'll go this week and build bridges to many and be just like Jesus. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming.